This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. People travel for many reasons, for work, to visit family, or for leisure. Of late, the concept of accessible travel has become popular. But even as the term gains in popularity, it's unclear what accessible travel actually means. The World Health Organization estimates that close to a billion people, or 15% of the world's population, lives with some kind of disability. Providing accessible means of travel is clearly the right thing to do. But of course, apart from the human rights arguments, there is also a compelling economic and business argument to incorporate accessibility into every aspect of travel and tourism. There is no denying how fulfilling traveling is for anyone, regardless of ability. Today, we discuss accessible travel. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juita Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. I'm sure there's a couple of eyebrows that have shot up because we are indeed talking about traveling places in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I might just be alone in feeling this way, but I'm feeling a little bit cooped up at home right now. And so I'm looking to the light at the end of the tunnel, thinking about a time when it would once again be safe to travel places because I do love to travel myself and I've done a couple of shows on travel before. So I think if you listen to the program regularly, or even if this is your first time listening, you'll come to know fairly quickly that I absolutely love to talk about travel. Uh, But being a person with a disability, I've had a number of challenges. I'm not going to lie. Finding an accessible and a a place to stay could be an Airbnb. It could be a hotel. Um, I found it a little bit challenging to book uh, flight tickets on my own. So there's a lot that can be said about making travel a welcoming and inclusive experience for people with a range of abilities. So with that context, the other day I came across an article about a hotel which is believed to be fully accessible and the first of its kind in the world. And naturally, I was intrigued. To find out more, we've reached a guest today who can fill us in on what is proposed to happen with this upcoming project out in West Virginia. My guest today is Jennifer Freeman, who is the project manager for Disability Opportunity Fund, and she joins us from New York. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So let's just dive right into this. This accessible hotel, it claims to be the first of its kind in the world to be fully accessible. Why do you say that? Well, we keep saying to people, if you can prove us wrong, we'd love to see it um, because we hope this isn't the first of its kind. Um, But I myself am an avid traveler. So is my family um, for a big part of this business. And we haven't seen anything like it. So We are going with the fact that this is the first fully accessible hotel in the world. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of hotels will claim to have at least the one, if not a couple of suites that are accessible. Maybe, you know, it's accessible for people in wheelchairs. And so if you happen to book one of those, you're in luck. If not, then you're out of luck. So what is it that sets your proposed hotel apart? 
Yeah, so we are going to be a 30 room boutique hotel where every room is accessible. So if you have some sort of disability where you typically need to have the ADA accessible room, you won't have to ask for that. Every room um, will have that turning radius that people in wheelchairs need, um, the correct bed height. We've also spoken with a lot of individuals from the disability community, not only those who use a wheelchair, but those who are deaf, blind, um, those who are on the um, autism spectrum, and they've given us a lot of insight on what they love about traveling and staying at a hotel and what they don't like. And we've been lucky enough to take that information and put it into the hotel as best as we can. Mm -hmm. And so what made you think, you know, this is a good time for us to not only open a hotel, but to open and market a fully accessible hotel? Well, accessibility has always been necessary. Um, one in four people are living with a disability um, in the US and that equates to 61 million adults. So I guess the question really is why aren't more places in the lodging industry focusing on this large market? Um, it's extremely underserved and individuals and families who do have a disability, they want to travel and spend money, but sometimes it's too much work. So they don't end up doing it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could just spend your whole vacation looking for accessible options. I mean, you, there's so much planning that goes into that. Um, are you hoping that, uh, you know, people will, will be able to book ahead of time based on their accessibility needs? Like, how would the booking process work? Let's say if I wanted to uh, register to live in your hotel, what would happen at that stage? Yeah, so we're working with um, a property management system where we're able to send out the survey beforehand so someone can let us know their needs. A lot of hotels are doing that now, um, but they're not focusing on the accessibility portion of it. You know, for example, people who use wheelchairs, they don't like a lot of furniture in the room. So maybe if mm -hmm. somebody said, we don't want the chair or, you know, that extra side table or whatever that is, we can take that out for you beforehand. Um, so just making your stay as comfortable as possible. And being able to know that before you get there is extremely helpful for the guests, but also for us as the hotel. And the nice thing is, is that we do only have 30 rooms. So we can really mm -hmm. give and go that extra mile for everyone that stays here. Exactly. Now, the hotel is scheduled to be open on New Year's Day 2022. Um, is there a reason that you'd had to delay the opening for the hotel? Was it because of the pandemic? No, I mean, we're really hoping that everything goes as planned. The only thing that would delay us, and right now we don't see that being an issue, would be construction. Um, our team there is working extremely hard six days a week um, on getting Smith up and running. The Last year, the pandemic did slow us down in terms of design. Um, but luckily, um, this town, White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, in which the hotel will be in, is an extremely small town and population of 2,500 people. Mm -hmm. So COVID wasn't such a big deal there. And I say that in the matter of they're so small that they didn't have the large scale breakouts that a lot of other big cities had. I want 
wanted to ask you a little bit about White Sulphur Spring, which is where the hotel is located, or that's where it will be located. What is it about this little town with a small population that drew you to it? And what made you decide this is where you wanted to build the first accessible hotel? Yeah, so DOF was called by two moms in the area um, about two and a half years ago because they were looking for help with their autistic children. And while that didn't end up working out, um, our team was introduced to this community in White Sulphur Springs. Um, in 2016, the town had what they called a one in 1,000 year flood, and it left the town absolutely devastated. DOF came there in 2019, and we were lucky to be welcomed with open arms to say, we'll help you start rebuild after this terrible flood. Um, so along with the purchase of this old schoolhouse, which we are creating into the hotel, we also purchased other real estate um, that sparked a lot of economic growth in the area. And you wouldn't believe what that town looks like now versus what it looked like two and a half years ago when we first stepped into it. Mm. Oh, I can imagine. I'm going to talk to you in a bit, Jennifer, about the Disability Opportunity Fund, just to find out a little bit more about the work that you do. But you mentioned a few minutes back that you're in the process of construction right now, and of course, had a few hiccups along the way because of the pandemic in the design phase. You know, a few years back, I spoke to someone called the Blind Architect, who being a person with a visual impairment really felt that he could guide the architecture process. So I'm curious about what, who you might have worked with to actually design the hotel and what sort of input you might have gotten from people with disabilities. I know you said you spoke to some people, but I'm wondering if you also retained an agency that might specialize in working with people with disabilities and what steps you might have taken to ensure that all the standards are met. Yes. Yeah, so we are working with um, an architect firm called Crabtree Robar and Associates based out in Pennsylvania. They are not specialized in disabilities. They do a lot of schools and other small housing projects where there's always an ADA component to it. So as an architect, from my understanding of learning a lot about them, they're always in the know about what's going on in that sector of architecture. But what really changed our mindset was speaking to those in the disability community um, and learning about what best fits them when they go to hotels. So for example, for those two men that we spoke to who are deaf, they said the one thing they always want that will make them feel comfortable is a fire alarm system that flashes. Because some hotels, believe it or not, don't have that. So they cannot hear if mm -hmm. the fire alarm's going off. And that's quite scary mm -hmm. if you're staying somewhere by yourself. And then one other thing which we found very interesting was a man who is visually impaired. He has a guide dog and he finds that a lot of times he gets out of the car with his guide dog and there's nowhere for the guide dog to release himself. So putting mm -hmm. that in right when you get out of the car is really important. It's true. These are the small things that make a big difference because you're right. These are exactly the kinds of things that people experience challenges with on a day-to-day -day basis. And then instead of having to figure out alternatives or where do I go or what do I do? It's nice to know that these things are being thought about ahead of time. But let me ask you about uh, the common areas and the amenities. One of the things I always look for when I go to a hotel are the amenities. So how about things like the swimming pool or if there's a gym planned, how accessible are those common areas and amenities going to be? 
Yes. So we will have a full service restaurant and bar, a ballroom, a meeting room, a fitness center, a meditation space, and a rooftop bar. So while I don't want to give away too much before we open, <laughs> um, one example of one of the coolest parts of the hotel that I find to be is um, in our restaurant, we have a U-shaped bar. And one third of that is the height of what you would typically see um, as a bar height, which is about 40 inches. And then two thirds of that is the ADA accessible height. Now, that's not even the coolest part. The cool part that we decided to add into that was that we're lowering the floor um, where the bartender will stand so that if someone is in a wheelchair, they're not kinking their neck looking up um, at someone at the bartender. You're actually going to be closer on eye level so that that's just a different experience. It's not something you think about, but it really adds up mm -hmm. in that guest experience. And it's funny because what I can tell you when speaking to everyone who we spoke to in the disability community was they all agreed that they like a good bar. So for them <laughs> to hear that from us, that we're changing that experience a little bit, they were very excited about that. My name is Joita Gupta, and with me today is Jennifer Freeman, who is the project manager for the Disability Opportunity Fund. She is in New York. Jennifer, I want to ask you a little bit about the staff. You were just talking about the bartender and the importance of having them at eye level. I'm curious about whether the staff at this hotel will be receiving any additional training to work with people with disabilities, you know, aside from the hospitality training that, of course, they would have had to undergo. Yes, so that actually is a big part for us. And while we're not up to that yet, um, we have engaged an HR company that um, we've outsourced. And that is a big part for us is training those who we hire to be able to, you know, interact with those with disabilities if they haven't before or how to do it properly um, so that we're all, you know, on the same page and keeping that same experience throughout the hotel. We're also working with organizations in the area to hire people with disabilities and veterans. So that's a big push for us that we're working with. Um, most of our hiring won't begin until the summer. So while it's not a main focus right now, that is in the, you know, in our heads for what to come. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. I was about to ask you if you think that you would also be hiring people with disabilities to work at what would also, in addition to being an accessible hotel, also prove to be an accessible workplace for people with disabilities who want to work in the hospitality sector. Is that something you were thinking about as well? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's the perfect place for them to work because it is fully accessible, get around very easily, um, and it just makes sense to do that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things that uh, people in the disability community have said to me is that it's not just enough to make a space barrier free and deal with physical barriers or even attitudinal barriers, but you also have to address the cost of living associated with a disability. And um, one of the things that's well established now is that people with disabilities tend not to have a lot of disposable income. Uh, that's not to say that people with disabilities don't have any disposable income and do in fact want to travel. But how would you address someone the, the argument that you know being a thirty room boutique hotel, it might be a little bit out of people's budget to be able to afford to live there? 
It's funny you say that because um, it won't be. Um, just to give oh. you, I know we haven't jumped into it yet, but to give you a little bit of background about the Disability Opportunity Fund is we are a nonprofit um, and we're building this hotel and as a nonprofit. So we're not looking to make those large returns that maybe other companies are. We're really looking to bring people to this community, to this hotel, um, and really showcase what can be done by these larger brands of hotels um, and really normalizing accessibility in the lodging industry. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick up on that in just a second, but I was just thinking as you were talking that there are a number of groups that like to have events. Um, it could be, I was especially thinking about conferences because we haven't seen a lot of in-person conferences recently, but that I think will still be a thing once the pandemic is over. And I know that a lot of groups like um, the American Foundation for the Blind, for example, um, they tend to hold annual conferences. Are you looking to target um, some of these specialized agencies that work with people with disabilities to invite them to book conferences in that hotel? Would make sense? Yes, yes, of course. Um, our ballroom can seat up to 500 people. So while the hotel itself can obviously not house that many people, the ballroom is a great place to have a lot of events. And we've also thought, of course, about the disability community in the ballroom, um, you know, with in terms of technology and making sure that everything is met in that space. So conferences are extremely welcomed as well as, you know, a wedding or, or any type of event for that matter. You know, I'm glad you brought up technology because it's become such a major consideration and factor when we have discussions about accessibility. What sort of uh, technological aid is available to people with disabilities? How are you using technology and smart design to feed into this idea of universal design? Yeah, so we have two major ones that we're um, working with. And the nice thing is that even though we're going through construction right now, we can continue to add technology. So our two main ones mm -hmm. right now um, is this app called Genie. It is an ASL interpreter um, that you can pull up right on your screen. So when you're trying to connect with someone who communicates through sign language, you can have you can pull someone up to do that interactive experience with you instead of you know maybe them having to write it down or However, their typical way of communicating with people is if they're traveling by themselves. The nice thing is the hotel will be paying for that. So, you know, you typically do have to pay for your, that service if you're using it on your own, and we will be completely covering that. Um, the mm -hmm. other part that we're adding on is in each individual guest room, you'll be able to order and get everything that you need through your TV. So. A lot of people that we spoke with in the disability communities didn't like to have to go to the front desk all the time or call in mm -hmm. every time that they needed something. And it's really not only the disability community, it's everybody. It's just we are consumed by technology that it's sometimes easier just to order your towels from the TV and they show up at your, you know, your door. So Thinking of those things and making sure that everything is as easy as possible is what our goal is. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I'm visually impaired. And one of the first hurdles I have in any hotel situation is figuring out the right way to 
use the key card because it's completely it's just a plastic <laughs> card there are no there's no markers so i'm just curious if you've thought about you know simple things like that like making the key card more accessible so people can actually get into their rooms yes so we are going you know you will have the option of the key card if somebody wanted that um, as well as the we're looking into a few apps that will service the visually impaired community um, but of course those who want it on their phone as well so that you know it's not that plastic thing that you always lose <laughs> that everybody always loses because I don't know where they go but it is a consideration for sure and an important one usually I just stand there from you know trying to flip my card every which way trying to slide it into the little key card slot um, with all of this work and effort that you're putting in to make the hotel accessible what sort of reaction have you gotten from other stakeholders in the industry? Do you hope that this will become a template or an example of an accessible hotel that others can also replicate? That's exactly our goal. Um, you know, we are looking, as I said, to normalize accessibility and be an example for the lodging industry of how easy this is and how amazing it is. You know, people always say, well, there's a bad stigma about getting the ADA accessible room. Maybe, but in our hotel, that just means that the room is bigger and it means nothing else. And you can't fight against wanting a bigger room. So <laughs> it, it, it's definitely going to be what we hope to be an example and for other um, lodging companies to come and, and see this. You know, one of the things I've read about the hotel industry is that it is in a lot of trouble right now, especially because of short-term rentals, which has really taken the floor out from under the hotel industry. Um, if I were an accessible traveler, why wouldn't I just look for an Airbnb, which is accessible, because I might get that room cheaper um, and it might be more convenient. How would you respond to someone who might be a bit skeptical about opening a hotel when the industry as a whole is taking uh, is is um, seeming to do not as well as it used to? We're not competing with Airbnb or similar companies. We're providing an experience that I know Airbnb cannot offer, and that doesn't mean that that's a bad choice, but it's a choice that you make. So if you're looking for um, someone to make sure that your experience is next level, this is where you would come. That starts with a pre-check-in survey, adjusting the room to your needs and making sure that you're as comfortable as possible. And sometimes with an Airbnb, you just you know plug the code in and you get right into the house and that works for people too. But if you're looking for that next level of experience and peace of mind when traveling, that's when you would come to the Schoolhouse Hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of charming to live in an old schoolhouse. I actually kind of, I think that's really quite incredible. Uh, just before we go in the few minutes that we have left, do tell us a little bit about the Disability Opportunity Fund and some of the other projects that you worked on. Mm-hmm. So the Disability Opportunity Fund was founded 14 years ago, actually by my parents. It is a nonprofit loan fund and community development financial institution with, of course, a focus on serving the disability community. So what does that mean? It essentially means that first, we loan money to organizations serving the disability market in the creation or helping sustain housing, schools, employment, etc. But we also own real estate that we convert to serve that same market. So for example, the hotel, another project that we had worked on in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, 
was creating the first special ed preschool in the county. It had never existed before, of course, and we helped these two women leave their jobs in the school district and start this because they felt very passionate that this program was needed. And they proved to be right because they've been extremely successful, especially through the pandemic. Unfortunately, the disability community has been hurt by it more than others, and everyone is coming to them for help. So it's been amazing to watch that as well. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've been doing so much good work in the community and the hotel really does sound very exciting. Uh, tell me a little bit, just in the minute or so that we have left, what drew you to this uh, project and what drew you to accessibility in, in the hospitality industry? What sort of, what excites you about it personally? Well, personally, I went to school for hospitality, so I learned a lot about it through my four years. And what I can say is that no schooling will ever fully fully prepare you for the construction and operating of a new hotel, but mm-hmm. I've learned a lot and I'm honored that my parents chose me to be a part and spearhead this project because it is unbelievable to see the transformation, not only in this community, but um, in the disability community and how excited everybody is about this. And when people hear it, they're just they say that was so simple. Why didn't anybody else think of that? And it's just, as I said before, it's an underserved market and it really just needed to be tapped into. So we're happy to lead the way on that one. You should put that on a t-shirt. Accessibility is simple. Why didn't anyone else think of that? (laughs) Jennifer, thank you very much for being on the program today. It was really good talking to you and getting to know about the hotel and some of the work that you've been doing. Thank you so much for having me. That was Jennifer Freeman, who is Project Manager at Disability Opportunity Fund. She joined us today from Rockville Center, New York. If you missed my conversation with Jennifer and you wanted to go back and have a listen, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Jennifer Freeman for being my guest on the program today and helping to take my mind off the pandemic and to make me think in hope terms about the future when I too will be free to travel. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is the technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.